Hello friends, welcome to episode 118 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I am Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Uh, is it Wednesday night therapy again? It's Wednesday night therapy and Wednesday night I'm not talking about work. So, All right. So we're going to go with that. That sounds great. We're going to go with that. I got a glass of water now mm-hmm. and not a gin and tonic. Uh, <laughs> it's a start point. So, um, I yeah. am buzzing with excitement. You you are doing great on, on all the stuff at your house. Yeah. You now have AC, which uh-huh. is amazing. That's actually going to help a lot with your painting. I guess it's supposed to get up in the 90s this weekend. Yeah, know, but so. I mean, now you have dry air in your house. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you can't, especially around here, like, late August is when we really start getting humid. Mm-hmm. And it makes it impossible to do decent painting. Yeah. You know, so I think that... Uh, well, we, we kind of we kind of had AC, but we had, like, three window units all just kicking at the same time. Which, right. of course, is doing wonders for our electricity bill. But, uh, but we got the AC, we got the... Uh, I got the studio redone. Um, we're talking about making our next push to redo our computer room and stuff like that. Yeah, so, I'm excited to see what you guys end up doing that. Um, but the thing that's got me truly excited right the now board. is, well, no, 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 no. I mean, just Savage Worlds in well, general. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, our session zero is this Saturday uh, for making characters and mm-hmm. getting that going. And mm-hmm. that means that we're going to start playing it soon. Yes. And it's... It, it's it's rejuvenating, you know. It yeah. feels it feels good to be this this giddy and excited about running a, a new game system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you like yeah, you mentioned the board where you and I yep. we were talking about uh, yet another monstrous terrain project that I've got an <laughs> idea for that uh, I think is going to be pretty cool if we can pull it off. So. Yeah, and and I've got some things that I need to do on. Uh, I, I guess uh, I need I, I need to make pieces for a couple board pieces. Uh-huh. Uh, for upcoming projects, but I've got a little bit of time, but not a ton. Like I, I know I'm gonna have to get started on those soon. Yep, so. Yep. so yeah. <clears throat> well, um, come over and use the new studio. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And then you've got to go out to our friend Steve's to do some molding. Yeah, yeah. He's got um a lot of these uh Hearst Arts molds, mm-hmm. and uh, if you've never heard of Hearst Arts, um, they're these cool little plaster uh or uh, silicone molds for silicone molds, yep. uh for plaster casting, and they are specifically made for like twenty eight millimeter miniature mm-hmm. dungeon tiles and stuff like that. They're so. fantastic. I I made a whole bunch when we got started on it, and uh, realized I didn't make enough. Mm-hmm. Like I I could have done more, and oh, so yeah. it, I don't know if I'm gonna go back to making those but i'm definitely going to get back to the point of making things for what i'm going to need in the future Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i think that's going to be a huge thing but because i got pieces i like them we've used them a few times yeah yeah. um but i definitely need to do um more classes and are more classic pieces but i also find that sometimes working with them they're they create very heavy pieces oh they do they do they're they're i mean you're you're casting them in dental dental plaster dental stone so um, they're they're nigh indestructible. That's true. But I mean, they call it dental stone for a reason. It's, it's still it's, stone. It's a very dense plaster. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But they're great to paint. They look mm-hmm. fantastic when you're done with them. And honestly, you can paint them very quickly. Oh yeah, oh, like yeah, really absolutely. quickly. So I mean, how 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 difficult is it to slap down like a dark gray coat and then throw you know a, a white dry, or a, a, a light gray dry brush on it? Yeah, that's done. pretty much it. Now you got stone. Mm-hmm. All done. So. We have a topic today. Yeah. And I feel like we're just going to kind of talk about this topic more than anything else, because we, we went back and forth about, like, how do we're going to discuss this without sounding like elitists. 
some of the stuff to, you know, is, is it makes it sound like a, a little bit of like elitist, but I think it's worth talking about, you know, yep. because I, I there's the subject of role play at the table and what is what is good role play, what is bad role play, and, yeah, you know, stuff like that. It's it's very subjective, but it does fringe into you know a couple of discrete areas and stuff like that, and um. How we as storytellers can encourage role play, and more importantly, encourage good role play at the table is tonight's topic. Yeah, and now I guess for me, role play really starts with any system. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't care what the mechanics for success and failure and con- you know against a consequence is. If you're adding something to your and creating a character. Becoming an embodiment of something else to play the game, mm-hmm. or even an extension of yourself, you are role playing. Mm-hmm. You are not just rolling dice. You're not just looking at a character sheet and calculating things up and rolling dice and saying, "Do I succeed or fail?" That's that's playing a board game. Yeah, that's literally playing a board game. Yeah, and I think that's really where the where the aversion. So if if we're talking about things. Uh, and general role-playing, I, I would definitely encourage people to go back and listen to episode 90, uh, which is our role-playing 101, and kind of reference start there. Mm-hmm. That's a great place to start. We've got some really great start points. But where we're kind of picking up today is... Less about what the players should do right. to lean into role-play and more about what storytellers can do to help the players lean into exactly. role-play. Um, and again, we're always going to start out with communication. Yeah. Is the key always start because even in that episode we talked about people who aren't wanting to get into role playing Mm -hmm. like they want to be part of the story they kind of sit in the background they want to play a character but they don't want to necessarily role play yeah and i think there's a place for them at the table where they're going to be part of the story but they're not necessarily going to add things from their character to it other than their own flavor into the story. Yeah. So they're going to flavor up a scene. They might flavor up a little bit of, of how to handle something so that it's unique for them. But they're not going to bring a background into it. They're not going to bring, you know, other flair to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you see this actually a lot when, like, uh, someone says, hey, uh, if we're going to play D&D, can I bring my girlfriend? Right. Like, yeah, sure, she can come. That's, that's no sure. problem. And yep. then, you know, she'll... And, and I, I'm I'm gendering her female, but this right. is by no means a, you know... A, a, Not in the least. A, a thing. Um, But, you know, they'll, they'll, that that person will sit there and just, you know, kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. I'm I'm with friends. I'm I'm with my significant other. And yeah. we're doing an activity. Or or you get the, you know, I heard a lot about the storytelling. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and he, he tells all these, you know, they, they tell all these great stories. And I, I kind of want to listen in. Well, do you want to play? I mean, I guess. Yeah. I don't want to just have you peanut gallery. Although we both have peanut galleries. At oh, our games. yeah. Yeah, we do. We, yeah, do. we do. We definitely get those. Um, And there's a place for that. But I would say, like, the people who want to get involved, and then they get involved a little. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess, you know, that's okay. But could we encourage them? And the real question is asking them, do you want to do that? I mean, are they a person who's comfortable with engaging in yeah. being a character, I've I've noticed you're you know you don't you don't tend to engage. I just want to make sure that a you're having fun mm-hmm. and b if there's anything I can do to help you engage, do you want to engage yep. more? Yeah, you know. So we're kind of starting from that point today. Is where is that either the person has said they've wanted to engage or they've come to the storyteller to say 
how do I do better? Mm-hmm. Like I, I see all these other people kind of who have acting chops or things like that. And, and I kind of want to do something, but I don't want to look silly or be made fun of. I, I, I feel like, I feel like, especially with, with a lot of new players, there's that sort of like thing where you're at the pool and you're watching all the cool kids jump off the high dive in the mm-hmm, deep end. And mm-hmm. you're like, I want to jump off the high dive, but like, I don't know, I'm scared. Exactly. You know? There's a certain aspect to that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, working up the courage to just do it. And once you do it once, you're like, oh mm-hmm. crap, that was fun. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. You, you do it multiple times, but you know, yeah. Uh, but working up the courage that first time, just go be with the cool kids and jump off the high dive is like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or, or just be with the group. Yeah. You know, be part of that story. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and that's, it's taking that first step, but it's also engaging with them. And as the storyteller looking and saying, Hey, is this something you want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm going to say as from a storyteller's perspective, watch your table. It's always important to watch beyond the story to see how players are doing and get mm-hmm. that reference. We talked about that a lot. Almost every time we bring up uh engaging your players, we always say, you know, engagement at the end and asking good questions about how they're enjoying themselves and what's going on is important to know whether or not the game's going well. Yeah, absolutely. So, always engage that but you know find out if they need something specific or if they've got you know ideas that they want and and work upon that yep so so uh, one of the other questions that kind of came up in the in the course <laughs> of this and this is I, I suppose we'll we'll broach the whole um we sound like elitist jerks thing right off the bat here um because we started talking about encouraging people to role play and then i i i started wondering about is there bad role play is is there a wrong way to role play? And I don't mean like your fun is wrong style thing of like you're playing your character wrong, but like right. where it gets to the point of being disruptive. I think that's the key word there. And 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 that's that's kind of what I was getting at is like I think we need we need to talk about the elephant in the room of like you want to encourage role play but you always want to encourage good role play. And that's a hard thing to do. And we, I mean, even when we had this discussion, you had brought up the fact of like, all right, I'm, I'm going to bring up something here. It was like this deep breath. And I was like, I'm going to sound like a jerk when I say this. And he's like, yeah, I expect so. And I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? And he's like, there's no, no, no I, I mean, I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Like <laughs> I laughed because I'm like, if I said it, I'd literally sound like a jerk. So I totally know where this is coming from. <laughs> but the thing is, is there's no other way to say it other than to say, Sometimes role players are bad and disruptive the yes. way they play their character. Yes. And I, I think there, I mean, if you change the word role play to acting, there is yeah. something called bad acting. Yeah, there's bad acting. And that's a comfortable term, but you say bad role play and someone's like, oh, how dare you how judge dare another you judge person. my creativity yeah. and the ability. No, no. Oh, oh your look, fun is wrong. Your fun is wrong. You're not playing D&D the way I want. Well, no, no, but let's let's go back to our childhood when we're playing with Legos and the one person's like, and my ship can blow the hell out of your ship and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, that's not how this goes. Like, we're we're doing this this way. It's setting the theme. Yeah. You know, is the host establishing something and you're going well beyond it because you're in your own world. You're, you're not part of the table anymore. Mm-hmm. You're literally playing your own game because you're kind of being a jerk, you know? And so like we were trying to figure out what really defines this. And we, we came up with three kind of archetypes that yeah, are like that are bad disruptive. That are disruptive. Table. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first one is the lampshade. Uh, and we, we call this person the lampshade because, uh, they can be, their, their, their place at the table can be replaced by 
an automated uh, roller. Yeah, it's and it's, or the DM. Honestly, it's, it's the it's the the role playing equivalent of the sexy lamp uh, uh, trope in uh, in film and TV, uh, where you can repl- if you can replace the character with a sexy lamp and it doesn't affect the story any. Yeah. Then you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the lampshade is the person who never speaks, never emotes, never uh, engages with the story whatsoever. Literally just shows up, makes roles when asked to describe their character's actions or anything like that. They're like, I hit him. Yeah, I'm attacking with my longsword. I'm attacking. It does a D8 damage. Yeah. Okay, uh, how are you swinging? I don't know, I'm just attacking. Yeah. And, like, typically these people, even when you try to engage them, will, like, get annoyed with you for, like, why are you asking me for details? I swing my sword. Yeah. What more detail do you need? You yeah, know? or they'll only use like in-game mechanics, or they'll just, dis- or worse yet, they're not even using in-game mechanics. They're just, they're just saying like, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm attacking. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what's the big deal? You know, and you're like, okay, well, what yeah. attack are you using? I don't know. It's, it's my longsword. Uh, back when we played BattleTech, my storyteller was actually kind of like that. Mm-hmm. We, we almost got in a fight one time because he was like, okay, you walk into a barracks, and I'm like, cool. What does it look like? And he's like, a barracks. It's a barracks. Yeah. I'm like. Yeah, okay, but like, is it is it like big? I mean, what? Why what, does it matter? What, what do I see? Yeah. Why does it matter? Yeah. So it's a barracks. Yeah, I'm like, man, because I'm trying to get into the scene. You yeah. know, you're. It's supposed to be like an elaborate chase scene where we're chasing this spy through him, and I'm like, I want to know like where I should look for him. Maybe he's hiding someplace. Like, <laughs> could you describe it more than a barracks? Yeah, and he, like he really got mad at me because yeah. he thought I was needling him. You know. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I get that. And at the same time, I look at it as like, we want passion in our game. We want excitement. Yeah. We want from from the storyteller, from the players. Like, mm-hmm. it's something you need. You need to have chemistry with that. And it's it's all right back to my rolling surface is beige. Yeah. My rolling surface is beige. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should make it gray. Maybe, maybe I should make my dice tray gray. Is beige too exciting? <laughs> I don't mean to go, you know, get too wild here, guys. Yeah. But... So, so you've got your your lampshades. Uh huh. We then step up to the one you kind of came up with, which is the Jar Jar effect. The Jar Jar. Now, um, we're saying this for the people who may or may not have seen the quote unquote first episode of Star Wars that included Jar Jar Binks. I think Jar Jar Binks is ubiquitous now. Like, I think I think he's out there in the zeitgeist. I don't think you'd have to have seen episode one to kind of understand who he is. I understand that, but we do have to kind of canonize why we're picking on Jar Jar. So, and I think first episode is the best way to say that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so Jar Jar premiered in, in uh, episode one uh, and was probably the most controversial thing in Star Wars history up until very recently. Yeah, um, for the most part. And, and At least since then. That being because you had this, like, kind of serious story going on about this uh, about this little planet called Naboo that was being like taken over and just bullied to, to, to hell by this by the Trade Federation and stuff of like that and there were these like uh, all sorts of political machinations going on that were just going very poorly and their planet was getting invaded and these Jedi were getting involved and um, in this very tense situation then you run into this character named Jar Jar Binks. Who's a talker like this? And he's like slapstick comedy and like bouncing around and like making poop jokes and like tripping over his own feet and ha ha ha. He's such slapstick. I mean, like literally the first scene we see him in, we have the two, we have two heroes mm-hmm. who have just come into a new area. 
You know, they're talking to the lord of another land who they have to negotiate with because he they need his help. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, uh, yeah, we're not we're not dealing with the surface people. They've screwed us one too many times, so we're just not handling that. Yeah, crap. if they get invaded, that sounds like a them problem. You know, and he's just like, well, we we kind of need to go talk to them next. Well, you know, if you can negotiate with them for some de- deal, we'll do something. Okay, well, we're going to need a guide. Oh, oh, I know somebody. Here, uh-huh. take this idiot who probably knows the way. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll even give you a ship. Good luck with this, and good luck with him. And we'll see you later. And, like, hands him off. And the first thing he does is literally trip over himself and look like an idiot. Yeah. Like, he just got released effectively from prison into these Jedi's hands. Mm-hmm. And from that moment forward... He does nothing productive, really. Nothing productive, but goof off, do stupid voices, and contribute absolutely nothing to the conversation. Correct. Correct. He he brought them before the guy, which he wasn't supposed to do. Mm. You know, he's just like, you know, sneaking them in, you walked through the front door. Yeah, whatever. Regardless. Not to put too fine a point on it. The yeah. point is, yeah. is that Jar Jar is nothing but a obnoxious jerk the he, entire time. And he doesn't fit the theme of the story. Doesn't fit the theme. He's He thinks he's slapstick comedy, but the whole time you want him to go away. Yep. He's just grinding against all the other characters. Every time he's in a scene, he's doing something that either injures himself, because the storyteller goes, you're going to do what? Well, I'm sticking out my tongue. Yeah. What, why, why would you try to lick an electronic cathode? Ha ha ha, for the memes. Ha ha, wouldn't it okay, be funny? Okay, well, you're shocked onto your butt and you're out of the next scene. Yeah. Or whatever. Right. You know, you're like, okay, that doesn't... Like... Or like, especially when they start interjecting themselves into other people's scenes then, where it's like you're having two characters having a real heart to heart. It's like, I come over and slam a pie into his face. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. We were really talking about this budding relationship that's been going on for the last 35 game sessions, but... I'm sure the pie to the face was necessary. Thank you, buddy. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So again, a character who is disruptive to the theme or the story in general can really bring down everything. And that's not to say don't play characters that are maybe a little off kilter and stuff like that. Of like, course, they, they, you can. I, I've seen a lot of characters who were. I mean. Heck, I'm a big fan of Critical Role. Yeah. Okay. Any table that includes Sam Regal mm-hmm. is going to involve a character that you look at and you go, this is ridiculous. Why the hell am I, am I watching Sam Regal play this character? This is stupid. And then like five episodes later, you're like, I am in love with Sam Regal's character. Yep. They're the best character at the table. Yep. Because he's got a sense of comedic timing. Correct. And he knows when to pull his hijinks back. Yep. And he can be serious. He he's actually pulled some of the most most serious stuff at yep. the table. Uh, another good example was, um, and this was a number of years ago. I brought this up. Um, we had a character, uh, a player who was playing a barbarian with mm-hmm. rage. Now, it he never told us anything about his character. We were all being very close in about our backgrounds and things like that. But every character had a background. But the storyteller wasn't exploring them. Mm-hmm. We were just going along their story. So here we have this silent barbarian character who literally is kind of like a, a mute Conan character yeah. who's you know closed off to himself and almost like a, a, a lone wolf who just at any given moment cracks and becomes this raging bull of, inf- of, of fire mm-hmm. and just starts t- tearing shit apart. And he's using his rage like he literally has like a blood rage that goes on. Mm-hmm. And... 
there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to it. And it wasn't until a couple episodes in, we're like, dude, you, you can't keep doing this. Like, we don't even know why you're being crazy like this. And he's like, oh, well, my, my character's got rage issues because, and he kind of explained everything to us. We're like, oh, dude, you're the dude from Record of Lotus War. Oh, okay. You just, oh, that, that's actually a really good story. Maybe you should have just told us that. And he's like, like well, I, my character wouldn't tell you that story. And like the storyteller isn't really examining it. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, okay. Yeah, that is going to be really hard to figure out. Yeah. And that he's just like, yeah, I'm playing my character. And he was very tough about playing his character mm-hmm, that way. Mm-hmm. And and I have respect for that because he sure. he had deep characters. Now, he decided to he was going to leave the campaign and we said just make a new character. And like the DM kind of questioned like, "No, I'm not just going to give him a fifth level character and blah blah blah." And we're like, "Dude, just give him the character." Like, whatever. We're we're all fine with this. Right, right. And so his next character did have a deeper background and stuff. But he was also actively in the party and was talking and things like that, and we were fine with it. Like yeah, he yeah. he literally you know cloned a character from another storyline again, but with its own little twist, and we were fine with that. Everything was good, and it moved on. And the but the difference was was the communication with us. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. he wanted us to figure out his character. He wanted the storyteller to expose aspects of his character, and that wasn't happening. So he just kept enforcing those things with the assumption that we were going to pick it up. Right, right. No, nobody was going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I think that's that can be the Jar Jar effect because you don't understand it. But I still think it, it to a degree, it was disruptive because it didn't fit the well, theme. Yeah, even even if you've got a good reason for it, you're still being right. disruptive. You know. Yep. I think it made it made things sizably better when he explained it. But yes, you know, instead of just being this is what my character would do. Yeah. Um. Now, and, and you, you brought up uh, you brought up kind of, you know, uh, Record of Lotus War, how you mm-hmm. kind of copied yep. a character from there, and that kind of brings us to our third archetype that's, that's I think, disruptive at the table. Right. And that is the exact duplicate of a pop culture character. Yeah, true copycatting. And now, I don't mean inspired by. Nope. I don't mean styled Xeroxed. off of. I mean, literally to the point where you're trying to bring that character's story like from the mm-hmm. media that mm-hmm. it's from into the game. Yeah. You know? Like I'm playing uh Courtness Everclean. Um she's and an... she's an archer who comes from a poor place that's uh run by an authoritarian government mm-hmm. and they make the poor people fight for sports. It's called the Starvation Games. Yeah, her sister was gonna go into the Starvation Games and she took her place. Yeah. Yeah, and she's uh, got a boyfriend back home, but they're really not a thing yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then yeah. you're like, okay, okay, you're just yeah. you're just playing cat. Yeah, we get this. But then pushes the plot and tries to turn it into her character. Right. And now it, it would be one thing if like, okay, that's your backstory. Great. Okay, fine. Now we're going to go save the princess in the castle from the dragon or something like right. that. And they're like, okay, but uh, uh, no, we need to actually go back this way. Why? Because the, we have to stop the starvation games from happening and rescue my boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. Or my other favorite one is uh, when they when they use their character design, the copycat, as a reason why things don't work that way. Like, well, my character is uh, you know Legolas. He mm-hmm. can do all these things. Like just like Legolas, he's an mm-hmm. elf and he's a ranger. So I mean, if Legolas can do it, I can do it. Well, yeah, shouldn't he be able to walk on top of the snow? Right, like because it's like snow walking, right? That's just an elven thing. Right, that's right? not that's not an ability on your character like, I, sheet. Oh well, he, but but my guy's basically legless, so why can't I? My guy, my guy's legless. He, he's he's egless, you know, or legless, you know. 
So. And and that's that's the one that gets me about copycatting is when they literally believe that because they copycatted, they're that person in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the other the other thing I've seen too with, uh, with copycat characters happen is uh, you get this expectation from the player that the DM is going to uh, go with them on their little journey to replay the Hunger Games or whatever it is, and when they don't, there's there's mismanaged expectations and there's hurt feelings right. there. Where they're like, well, I don't like this story because you're not, you know, you're not playing into my character. I'm just trying to play my character and you're not letting me. Right. It's like, well, no, I am. But I'm also trying to tell a story and you want to tell that story over there. I'm trying to tell this story here Mm -hmm. and I'm not letting you drag the four other people at the table into your story. Right. We're all playing my story. Right. I'm the storyteller. Right. You know. And, And like I've seen it done in other stories. Where it's done well, where the ridiculous character is done well, um, legless backwards is sallow gel. Oh, jeez, <laughs> nice, nice. This is why yeah, we have this a live is why chat. we have a live chat. Gems so, like this. Um, but like in uh, the Seven Samurai, uh, or Samurai Seven in mm-hmm. the anime that I watch, uh, version of it, one of the characters basically is tr- is trying to say that he's a samurai. And that he's got a lineage where he's a samurai. And he keeps pressing that. They're like, that's his thing. Uh, like, I'm clearly a samurai, and I should be going with you guys. And, like, the leader's like, no, you're not. Like, you may- maybe. Like, wait, is this you? I've got a scroll Why is this that thing says different? That, that exactly. has all my lineage. Like, yeah, this, this isn't you, man. This is a fake ID. You, you, like, you bought this. No, it isn't. This, this is me down here. I didn't buy this. Then you killed someone for it. Shut up! No, no, no! I didn't. <laughs> no, this is this is my lineage. No, no, this can't possibly. This guy here would be your dad. Would be like eighty years old. There's no way this is yours. I love this character but, too. He's so great. But at the same time, that level of ridiculous can still be part of the game. Yeah, they can absolutely. still do things and be part of the story, and have that re- that simple reoccurring theme that they lean into become the stepping stones to becoming a samurai. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's, that's a starting point. That's a yeah. journey you're taking. You yeah, and, and those are the kinds of things that I like. But you've got to leave room for growth. Of course. That's the key. Mm-hmm. So, so all, all right. right. We talked an awful lot about bad role play, and we haven't even gotten to the topic of uh, how to encourage good role play. So let's, let's get into this. All right. So I think good role playing, uh, encouraging good role playing starts actually before the game. Yeah, it starts in Session Zero, and some, a little bit before that, I would say even. Yeah. Um, so uh, coming up with characters. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we, we talked about tropes that you want to avoid uh, in yeah. characters, but um, you know, a lot. I think uh, some characters have problems, or some players have problems role playing because they don't make a good character that can get involved in the story. You know, or they don't make a character that has motivations. Mm-hmm. They don't make a character that has their own plot hooks and stuff like that. They don't make their character hook a bull. Yeah, they they haven't listened to our other episode, <laughs> and and so they they tend to uh, not not engage with the story because they don't know how, mm-hmm. and they haven't left the door open for the character to do so. Right, right. You know? Um, so a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, good, encouraging good role play starts in the session zero when you're all making characters then, um, and talking to your characters about their backstories, coming up with good ideas and stuff like that. Now, one of the things that I, I kind of want to lean into here is it's easy for you as a storyteller to just start coming up with ideas for them. Like, oh, you know, you, oh, you want to play an elf and you want to play a ranger? Oh, well, you could totally do this and this and this and just start coming up with ideas. Mm-hmm. 
because you have the creativity and the world setting in mind and start wrapping up these ideas. And that's great. It's good encouragement. But at the same time, it's not their mind. It's not something they're invested in. And oftentimes they'll just grab what you're saying and start writing it down. Mm -hmm. And like, well, it's what you said. That's that's not ownership. Yeah. Yeah. And that can cause a lot of problems with having ownership later of that character. Now, it's one thing to be handed whole cloth a character and say, fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. That's okay. That's that's a thing that can be done. Sure. And sure. I don't think there's anything wrong with that from a storytelling aspect either. But if you're going to do that, make sure that's what the direction is. But if a character, if a player wants to create a character, say things that you've done. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like, well, you know, what, what kind of ideas? Well, you know, I've I played a barbarian who is this. Um, I, I had a, I had a cleric who was, uh, started his life as a, um, as a, a fighter, basically working as a guard and, uh, basically found God mm -hmm. at a moment and had a turn and ended up going down a clerical path. Was he, was he like, you know, all healer only? He's like, oh no, he was still a huge cantankerous grumpy badass, mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, healing was one of the things that he did, but he also whooped a lot of butt, you know, oh, like, like a paladin. No, 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 just, just a, you know. Giant fist-wielding badass, mm -hmm. you know, with a shield. Um, and so that way you're explaining ideas that you have, which then sparks in them. But instead of handing them ideas yeah, yeah. that are half-flushed out, you know? Now, alternately, um, I think my my personal method is just to ask really good questions yes. of, uh, of the player. Um, that is a great way of doing it. And uh, so I, I know, like, a lot of a lot of people like to kind of take the hands-off approach. There's a lot of, like, character surveys out there. Mm -hmm. like 20 questions about your character. Where did they come from? Yep. Who was their father? You know, who is your daddy and what does he do? And, um, I mean, those serve a purpose, but I always find that they feel a little bit like homework and nobody ever wants to do them. I love doing all of them. Well, of course you do. You're yeah, a nerd. I'm totally a nerd. Um, but uh, uh, what I like doing with my players is basically just sitting down one-on-one -on -one with them and just mm -hmm. start asking them about their character and pressing them for answers. Mm -hmm. And not like, you know, I say pressing them for answers, not like, why, you know. Why do I hear the squeak of the light being turned? Where were right. you on the night of the 42nd? <laughs> right. You know, what did you take for your second level feat? Answer me! <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, but, but just um, like, for instance, I had a really great conversation with sean the other day mm -hmm. about his character now we've talked a lot of times about his character who's a noble and a mm -hmm. con man yeah and um two things that go hand in hand we, well we started talking <laughs> about um his how deep the con man rabbit hole goes is he really a noble or did he count of monte cristo himself that's a good question did he con man himself into a title i mean it's is possible. it a real title did he just start calling himself a lord one day and people were like, yeah, that tracks. He acts like a lord. He talks like a lord. Quacks like a duck must be a duck, you know? Um, Do you have a writ? <laughs> and, and after that just was like accepted in the noble community because he could carry himself with noble bearing enough to. And he had the to, money to back to it. To get away with it, you sure. know? Did he mount a kind of Monte Cristo himself? And, like, Sean, who hadn't even thought of this angle for his character, I watched him have an existential crisis in front of me going, like, I, I never thought about it. Am like, I noble? I never thought about it, but, like, oh, God, now you've got me wondering, like, oh, that's cool. Like, maybe he did, you know? Yep. And, but, like, asking those questions of, like, okay, so where did your character come from? But, like, what were they doing there? Mm -hmm. What really caused them to 
come to this land now and become an adventurer, you mm-hmm. know? What happened there that was so bad that they had to leave? Yeah. And what's their drive for adventuring, mm-hmm. you know? Just simple questions like that, like trying to figure out their actual motivations for getting into where they are, where the adventure begins, yep. can spark a lot of great thoughts on their part and really find those good hooks. And mm-hmm. you kind of collaborate on, by just asking them questions and getting those answers, you craft their, their backstory together. Yep. So what you're saying is stop, collaborate, and question? Yes. Okay. <laughs> It's also good to listen. It to is. It your, is to your players. But if, yes. if you're doing it from the storyteller aspect, yes, yes. yes. Um, no, I really like that. And one of the things that you had in there was, oftentimes when you're doing the twenty questions, there's a spark point. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's very early. Sometimes it's middle. Sometimes it's near the end. Um, like you had with Sean, where he was just like, I don't know, and that's the moment. As as a storyteller, that you kind of circle that with the player, you're like, "Hey, yeah, this is this is this is it." And sometimes you got to fish for it too. Oh, without a like, doubt, without I was, a doubt. I was talking to Erica about her uh, mm-hmm. about their character, and um, they were saying uh, uh, they're 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 playing a Dunmer, yeah, um, uh, who's a a dark elf, mm-hmm. and there are five great houses mm-hmm. in dark elf culture. Yep, yep. And so I was like, "Well, do you see yourself coming from a core culture of warriors?" or mages, or merchants, mm-hmm. or religious people that serve the tribunal, sure. um, or the uh, slavers. Yeah. And she's, uh, they, they were like, uh, actually, I really like the idea of merchants. And I'm okay. like, okay, cool. We had to fish for that. Like, right. you didn't come to me and say it was a family of merchants. I was like, here's an aspect for you. Right. Now, let's narrow this down. Right. You said merchants. Okay, let's explore that now. Right. And went from there. Yeah. And we, we came to a really great backstory. Well, and, and that's where, like, I've had to think about my character as I've been going things, because mm-hmm. I've I had a real simplistic background, but I had a point in my history where things split. Mm-hmm. And I've, I'm having to examine, like, that split a little bit, but I've been examining it during gameplay. Yeah. yeah. Like, I've been tr- thinking about moments that we've had, how I've handled those, and every time I've come to another conflict, I've come back to that moment in my mind of, okay, what split this moment? Why did this change him? Do I approach this like a soldier, or do I approach this like a cleric? Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Who am I protecting, and who am I ending? Mm-hmm. Like, where is this coming from? And I've had to examine that over and over and over again because, again, it's part of a very recent history for him. Yeah. Like, yeah. why did he walk away from everything? And the answer was is that he didn't have a good answer. Mm-hmm. He kind of put it in the hands of somebody else, and now he's he doesn't get that choice. He doesn't <laughs> – that other person's hands don't exist. Now it's back to him. Yeah. And he's having he, – he just walked away from it for a while. He got a breather, if you will. And where there was only one set of footprints in the oh, sand. Man, oh, there's more. That's because you were walking alone this whole time. Yeah, kind of, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing, the other thing I, I think about uh, uh, I- encouraging good role play is, and I started thinking about this a little mm-hmm. bit from almost like a romantic stand- standpoint. Sure. Setting the mood. You know, I, we kind of talked about this with uh, Seth. That yeah. That games have a feel, mm-hmm. a mood, a theme. Yeah. Almost there's there's multiple words for it, but really it all kind of comes down to what is the general mood. 
but I, of but, the game. But this is this is also something that like we do in real life all the time, all without the time. without really even realizing it. Mm-hmm. Though, and this is why I said like I almost thought of it like a romantic thing because yeah. like when you are setting up for a romantic evening, you may do things like light candles, mm-hmm. put on soft music. Mm-hmm. You're gonna want to dress up, yeah, groom yourself, sure, um, etc. To to and the, and all of these things kind of. Any one thing is not going to do it. Right. But all of them in combination sets a certain mood for things to... A tone. Or, uh, yeah. to, to occur. Yeah. Okay. It puts... The, it's, it, the whole thing is designed to put the other person in the mindset, to put both of you in the mindset, right. um, that there is going to be a particular activity taking right. place tonight. This also happens in business. 100%. Okay. You're going to dress in business attire. Mm-hmm. Typically, you want to conduct your business in an office setting of some mm-hmm. sort of a professional setting. Yep. Um, because you clear away distractions from anything but the activity you're trying to focus on. And that's kind of where I'm going with this. Um, so for role playing, you're setting the mood with appropriate background music for your theme mm-hmm. uh, and for your for your story. Um you want to make sure that you've cleared away outside distractions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if there's maybe other people in the house, tell them that you, you know, your your group needs some privacy. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, go to the basement or go to the side room or something mm-hmm. like that so that, you know, you're not in the main thoroughfare of, of, right. of the, the bustle of the household. Right. Um, and, you know, try to keep things on target. Yes. You know, keep your keep your cross chatter and your out of game talk and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. down to a minimum, so that the whole environment, from the music, the lighting, to the setting, mm-hmm. to everybody at the table, are all single minded about that game. Mm-hmm. And without any of those outside distractions, with everything pointing you, every time you butt up against a sense, mm-hmm. a sensory input, it points you back inwards towards the game. Right. And without any outside distractions to draw you out of it, you've almost got no choice but to be, you have your head in the game and role play, you know? Right. I mean, if you're gonna play Dread, and you're gonna have it be a group who's finding an old cabin in the woods and trying to make their way out of it, there's nothing that says you can't be all sitting around a campfire telling the story. Like that sets a mood and a feel for that game. If I was if I was to do a game on the road, that's the kind of feeling that I would want to get out of that. You know, that's the kind of setting that I would want to set for my players. Mm-hmm. Likewise, if I'm doing a very heroic space game, you know, where there's lots of technology and traveling among the stars, I might actually do a little. You know, I might put a projection on the ceiling of of stars and planets moving like that would a, be great you know yeah. have like the the typical planetarium music playing mm-hmm. you know pink floyd exactly yeah. exactly you know or or even just the, like the theme music from different shows not necessarily like the 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 actual themes but the the feeling themes that come off of those you know in the background so it feels in that same direction so that you get people in that mood so that it carries that into the game mm-hmm. you know um, uh, and I, I think that's a really great way of doing it. Also being able to prompt your players with some imagery 
and and feeling during the session zero of what the world looks like, what it feels like to them. Yeah, yeah. I loved that about Shadowrun. The art and and artistry in the books was so wonderful at bringing you into the grimy, gritty, flashy, bright, technologically strapped to the bodies and plugged in existence mm-hmm. of the Shadowrunners. Well, that's that's one of the. It's also one of the reasons why, like, I always open my game with the Elder Scrolls theme. Yeah, I think it's perfect because it it's it's almost like a Pavlovian you know sort of thing where mm-hmm. you you start hearing that dun 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 yeah. dun at the and beginning you're right into and, like, it. Your brain just goes. Oh, we're playing now. Yep. You know, yep. we're this, now in this, this is the go time. Yep. Yep. Um, I was uh, uh, watching um, some Adventuring Academy by Brendan Lee Lull- uh, with uh, Brendan Lee Mulligan uh, from uh, Dimension Twenty, and uh, he was saying he he found his characters' choices became more homicidal <laughs> the hungrier and later into the evening they played. That makes sense. And so I think part of setting the mood is also taking care of those those other like. Frustrations, frustrations, mm-hmm. and stuff that of of like just make sure everybody's fed, make sure everybody's rested, yep. make sure you've used the bathroom before you start playing. It, whether you realize it or not, it's going to affect your role playing. It's going to affect your enjoyment of the overall experience. When we were doing the Seven C game remotely, uh, and I was playing with people around the country, and I'm literally watching someone's camera, and I can see his entire life and kids and wife happening in the background, and him muting and waving them off, or like picking up a dog. Because they're bar- the dog's barking at him or whatever, and I'm like, I have no idea how you can live with that many distractions mm-hmm. and have any kind of coherency. No, like no, no. I-, I just don't get it. We uh we uh for for a little bit we were playing uh, Sean's game at uh, one of our uh, local game stores because it was a good midpoint for. In fact, this yeah. is like, this is the game the Knox was in. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh we were. We we constantly had like I mean it was just uh, lots of distractions from just like the other noise levels and stuff like that because we played in a corner of their their big game room so there was always like card tournaments and stuff like that going on yeah. there, but also like the owner's kid was there it was like a little four year old toddler or something hmm. and would like run That's around cool. and he'd want to like what's this and grab our minis and like one time he was waving around a whole raw hot dog. And was, like, then trying to grab our minis, and we're like, dude, you have hot dog hands, you can't be doing this, you know? Mm-hmm. And it like, it felt bad, but we were, like, because you don't want to, like, just, you know, tell the kid to get lost, but, because you don't want to be mean to the kid, he doesn't know any better, he's just doing what a four-year-old does. But at the same time, man, we are playing D&D, come get your kid, you know? And it was, it was just a big distraction the whole time, and it's just not a, not a great environment to be no no and i think there's something to be said about cons in the same sense yeah that you lose a certain element and you kind of have to be prepared for that Mm -hmm. that they're that you're going to lose that element and it's going to feel rushed and different but that's that's to be honest with you and you you know me i'm not i'm not a huge con person i'm kind of kind of introverted i'm kind of uh kind of anti-people yeah um so i i don't tend to want to go to large gatherings of people uh, and certainly, least of all, want to sit at a table with a bunch of rando strangers uh, in it's that environment. It's almost the antithesis of what you'd want to do gaming-wise. And so, like, I hear you describe, what was it, was it Dragon Con you went to, or Gen Con? Gen Con. Yeah, you're describing Gen Con, you're like, oh yeah, we're getting in this game and that game, and I'm like, I mean, I'm, look, I'm, I appreciate that you like that stuff, man, and I'm happy for mm-hmm. you that you're there, but oh god, I cannot even imagine it. It, it is not the same thing, it's completely different. It is completely different trying to play that way. 100%. Nox so. is in the live chat and he has opinions on the four year old. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. 
let's roll on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's move into playing. So now now we've gotten past the session zero. We need to step into assisting these people. And I think one of the first things that I'm going to say beyond what we've got here in the notes is don't chide. Okay. No, don't, don't, if I'm going to tell you to don't do something, don't chide people who are role-playing. Direct them, help them. Mm-hmm. But what we're saying here, don't take with a negative. Always put a positive edge to it. Yes, yes. So yes. so when we say, in the, like I'm about to say is, when you're helping someone, refer to their character and not the player name. Mm-hmm. So ask what Thalian's doing. Don't ask what Sean's doing. Right. To help put them in the mind frame of their character. Yeah. If they say, if they start talking in the third person or or ignore their character completely, don't chide them for that. Mm-hmm. Just help keep redirecting them. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I, one of the big ones that uh, I, I mentioned earlier, Brendan Lee Mulligan, um, one of the big ones that I picked up from watching him is uh, asking how a character feels. And I tried this one with yeah. you guys last yeah. game, and yeah. I think it worked really well. Yeah. Um, and just saying, like, you know, okay, so, you know, a lot's been going on. Uh, this is the setup. Uh, this has happened. That's happened recently. How's uh, how's Theodane feeling about all of this? Yeah. And amazing. I mean, just everybody just instantly was, like, somber and giving these really heartfelt responses to that response. And, and, and the role play just rolled right out. Yeah. Because instantly that question pushes them into the mind of their character. Yep. You know, I agree they're not that. talking about surface actions. They're not talking about, I walk over here, I push this button, I swing my sword. Mm-hmm. Now it's, what are you feeling? And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, a bad thing happened, and I'm kind of dealing with this, and I'm kind of dealing with that. No, they, they can't help but be in their character. Yeah. You know? What would Theodane do? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'll have to consider that. But n- yeah, you will have to consider that. Mm-hmm. And that means you'll have to think about it. And that mm-hmm. means you're in the mindset, right? You're you're starting with it. Sometimes that's very challenging. That I think that's one of the deepest points that you get with a lot of players when you're at the table with them, um, in in doing it. But I I think it takes time to get to that point. I think mm-hmm. you you can't just open up the game and saying how do you feel about this? You know, yeah. you just walked into the pub and you you see them and everyone's dead and there's a note stabbed in the how middle of the table. How does that feel? Yeah, th- like... don't don't start with that. Right, like, right, right, right. Five right. or six sessions in, you could start asking about feels. When you well, and also when you have a beat, it, it, yes. that's the thing. Like it, what you just described is kind of going into an action scene, right? Whether whether it's an action because the person who killed everybody there is still there, and mm-hmm. we're going to have a combat scene, or because it's obviously panic inducing to see mm-hmm. something like that, and we're, you know, people are going to be scrambling for answers and you know stuff like that. There's there's a bit of motion. There's a bit of you know forward momentum to that scene. Yeah. Don't lose the momentum of the scene. Wait till the pause. Wait. Yeah. Wait till you've got a pause. Wait till you've got a short rest. Mm, that's a, always a, a great place a, for a it. long rest, a campfire, a, mm-hmm. a an inn, something like that. You know, where you've got a moment to just sit and reflect, then ask those questions. Yeah. Narrating combat's a great thing. I think. It takes a little bit of effort as a storyteller to learn how to narrate combat. Um, I do it because I think see things very cinematically, mm-hmm. so it's easy for me to lean into like 
the imagery of of you know you know rockets spinning out of uh, you know a, a pack opening up on your shoulder and sixteen rockets shoot out of that pack swirling with with you know energy and and their contrails you know twisting behind them as they race toward the target and as they impact a large cloud erupts from the front and you watch as the as the other mech falls backwards mm-hmm. boom I just cinematically explained that not only did you do damage but you knocked the guy down yeah sure. I I didn't have to use those terms. I didn't have to go through the mathematics of showing you those things. He's now on the ground. Mm-hmm. I just did it cinematically. Now, yeah. can you do that as a storyteller? Yes. Does it take effort and time to look at the outcomes of the dice and kind of calculate what's happening and then do that? Sure. You don't have to do it every time. Yeah, but... I would say for, for dramatic twists in combat, though. I mean, the, the, the big thing about I think combat takes long enough in just about every single game system. Yeah. That you definitely you don't want to do it every time. No, not unless the game draws for it. Like, 7C mm-hmm. swashbuckling is a huge thing. Yeah. Like, if you make a miraculous roll, you're going to do, like, five or six things on that roll. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be like, all right, what do you do? And at that point, pretty much everything works. Mm-hmm. And that's the game where you want that cinematic and thematic for the player to come through of, you know, I cut the cable and the, so the chandelier falls and I rise and the 10 brutes on the ground that I just took out are totally wiped out. And now I'm on the second balcony. Sounds perfect. Let's keep going. And, uh, you know, of course, on on top of the storyteller narrating things in a good way, um, the ubiquitous phrase that has been made, Mm -hmm. I I think we've all been saying this in some form or other for a while, but Matthew Mercer of Critical Role made it famous. How do you want to do this? Yep, I agree. I agree. Um, And that is allowing your players, encouraging your players to narrate their actions. Yes. And now, how do you want to do this is in reference to making the killing blow on an enemy. Right. I think I think there's a lot of ways you can just do that though mm-hmm. of of asking for them to narrate their actions. Yeah. You know. Um uh so like, you know, you critical failed your stealth roll. Tell me how you disastrously bring attention to yourself amidst all these guards. Right. Okay. Uh all right. So I step out of the door and I look to the left checking to make sure there's no guards. And I step to the right and run directly into the one that I didn't look at. Right. You know? <laughs> yep. Yep. I love those kind of moments. Uh, also, like the the uh, the charisma checks, the failed charisma checks. Mm-hmm. I, I did read a great one where one of the players, okay, well, you, you failed your charisma check. Oh, no. I brought up his mother. <laughs> his mother was not a nice woman. Oh, jeez. Hey, with hers. There was a bad moment that involved sauerkraut. Mm-hmm. So all I get is sauerkraut. And it's like, <laughs> oh, oh no, no, I didn't, I didn't mean that. Like, I went, I was talking about your mother. So bad things happen, yep, you know. Yep. And that's the kind of thing that you want is that is that your players can come up with some very funny scenarios. Oh, they can, and and they they are vividly in uh, um, um, imagining their character. So even when bad rolls happen or good rolls happen or some of that, chances are they have an idea in their own mind's eye how that's happening. And even just yeah. asking them, how how do you see this outcome happening? Describe mm-hmm. to me what this dice roll means. Right. You know? Yep. And yes, and them. Be excited with them. You know, when they... When they when they tell you like oh yeah uh, uh, I I do like a seven twenty you know 
uh, uh, spin around with my axe, kind of whirlwinding it around mm-hmm. like a like a barbarian from Diablo, you right. know, and and hack his head from his shoulders, and it goes rolling twenty feet. Be like, yeah, man, because it doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. He's got the killing blow, you yeah. know. I, I one of the ones that got me was a a character uh, came in there the the bad guy had monologued and his first minion came up to attack him and he critted on the first minion mm-hmm. literally doing twice his health oh yeah in a single attack and he said can i cut off his head and kick it at him can cuz cuz i critted right sure. he's just I, the, the guy was like yes Yes, yes, you may. You know, and it's like you just ended one of his minions right in front of him and then punt kicked his head up to him like, what else you got? Right. Like, uh-oh. Well, my interrogation didn't go well. How's yeah. yours going? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he actually gave him, he's like, you have advantage on, on your taunt if you'd like to con- If you'd like to get there. He goes, yeah, exactly. And he goes, yeah. Are you going to say anything? No, I'm just literally going to let the body slump over next to me. Mm-hmm. And stare him down. I'm like, okay, that's a taunt, <laughs> you yeah. know. And that's where being a fan of your of the characters. Yeah, and I I think sometimes the best thing we can do to encourage role play is get out of our players' way and just let them role play. Yeah, enjoy the story. Let go of the reins. Put the reins in their hands. Let them tell you a story about their character. You know. Yeah, and the thing you're gonna have control of every other aspect of everything else that's going on. Yeah, C- give them some run and room. Let them feel like the big damn hero. Of course, absolutely. All right. I, I love those kind of moments. And, and so you said, be a fan of your characters. Yes. And we, we say this all the time. This yes. is one of the, the guidelines they give you in Powered by the Apocalypse games, Dungeon World and stuff like that. Yeah. 7C um, leans into it as well. So, But but I mean, it's literally the, the where we get the be a fan of the characters phrase is from the Powered by the Apocalypse system. Yes. It's no, literally no, I agree, codified I agree. in the yes. storytelling yes. rules. Like, yes. um, and, and it really means a lot. Like, And, and so I think... You know, when you're saying, like, you know, letting them be enthusiastic for them, stuff like that, you have to understand that that enthusiasm is contagious. 100% agree. You know, so if you're cheering them on and saying, like, yeah, that thing when you did the the 720 spin and hacked the guy's head off with your broad axe was awesome, they're going to feel more encouraged to do stuff like that more. Yeah. They're going to feel more encouraged to to come out of their shell Mm -hmm. and, and engage with the story in these heroic ways. Yep. You know? Um, positive feedback is going to bring positive results. Yep. So, um, players are also going to feed off of your enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and so, uh, you know, if, if they shout out a battle cry and charge into combat, cheer them on. Mm-hmm. Be sure. like, yeah, man, you do it. Roll your, roll initiative. Cool. Yep. Yep. Um, con artist tells a bold face lie with grinning teeth and gets away with it. Cheer him on. Absolutely. You bilk this guy out of his pants. The uh, the you know? rogues who, who have a crit on their stealth rolls and literally the guards walk right by because he's standing with like a, a piece of tree a, a a bush in, in front, front of, of his yes. face. And he's like, nobody here but these bushes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Cheer them on. Like so, ridiculous things can happen at the game at, yeah. at the table. And like and from my from my own personal experience. Sometimes there's this impulse in the back of my head that goes, I wanted this to be more challenging. I didn't want things to be easy for you guys here, but you just rolled these high numbers and now you just waltzed in past the guards and it was supposed to be this big complex thing. Who cares? I mean, who cares? 
the player is having a great time yeah. and the player feels like a hero. Yeah. If the character was built for stealth and they do good at stealth, they're winning. As yeah. far as they're concerned, they're doing everything they showed up to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Let them have it. Yep. Let yep. them have it and move the story forward. Does it matter if it's tough for them to sneak past or not? Really? Yeah. You know, in the grand scheme of things. There's there's always going to be a challenge that they can't that they can't win. Exactly. I mean, I, as I like to put it, when you're watching a show with superheroes or heroes or anything like that in it, they often can handle challenges mm-hmm. and, and break through them with with injuries, some minor things, and something like that. But it goes very quickly. Those we, scenes are over very fast. We're a big fan of those uh, screen rant pitch meetings. Oh, totally. And totally. The, the, the catchphrase for the guy is super easy. Barely, barely an inconvenience. inconvenience. Because oftentimes in TV and in, in movies... The, the heroes are set up with these totally difficult, you know, utterly world-ending consequences. Oh, it must have been really difficult for them to get out of that. Nope. Barely an inconvenience. Barely. Yeah. And that's the point of it. But at the same time, you have these these processes, these moments where the, uh, where the antagonists do something that is beyond them. Mm-hmm. That it has nothing necessarily to do directly with the characters. You know, people, they blow up their lair. Like... You saw it in in uh, Kingsman. There's yeah. a, a great scene of that where they where literally they blow up the shop, um, and then uh, you know you've got uh, the Marvel characters uh, when they're uh, you know they're back trying to figure things out, and then a ship comes in and literally launches every one of its missiles and blows up the mar you know the Marvel headquarters, mm-hmm. you know and and. Shield's gone, effectively. Mm-hmm. The, the ship is literally blown out of the sky. You know, the any number of things can happen to the world around your players that affects those players in ways that they can't stop. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in stories. But it doesn't, it doesn't preclude them from having... You don't have to have that happen on an individual level with them. You don't have yeah. to try and smite them for succeeding. Let them succeeding. the little wins, because chances are the big, the big losses are coming. You right, know? exactly. That's, that's the turns in stories. Don't try and win by fate and dice. Yeah, yeah. Because there is no wind there. That's, you want them to grow and move on and succeed and find their challenges. That's good story writing. Uh, you get a little bit into the rule of cool with this, too. Oh, true, um, true. It's one of those things you hear. And uh, rule of cool is, uh, uh, for those not familiar with the turn of phrase, uh, letting your players do creative things that kind of break the rules a little bit. Yeah. Um, or might break physics a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it sounds really cool. Yeah, It yeah. would be really awesome. Like, okay, so the, the, the barbarian doing a 720 pirouette with his battle axe out and perfectly claving the guy's head off, like... Mm-hmm. Is it realistic? I don't know. Yeah. Is it cool? Oh yeah. yeah. Or or you've oh, got yeah. the, you've got the archer who's just like, I jump off the building backwards and fire an arrow through the second floor window. Mm-hmm. You know, with a rope on it, attaching it to the bad guy. You know, by piercing him, and then as I'm coming down to grab the rope, so it pulls him right up to the edge of the window. And I use that to swing back down, Yeah, you know, kind of a thing. And you're like, Ooh, like, well, that's going to be a really high athletics role, but, but okay, let's do it. You know? And like, Oh, okay. You pulled it off. That right. is badass, You know, mm-hmm. 
those those kinds of things. Those kind of things are awesome. I mean, it's it's a, it's kind of a hotly debated topic because um, I think the, the the whole reason of rule of cool eggs exists is to kind of give the ability to break the rules a little bit and there are a lot of storytellers who aren't familiar with allowing anybody to go outside of the rules and um be, because it starts setting precedence you know uh i i could think of like um so like the like the gnome hiding in the backpack of the barbarian yes. giant or something yes. like that you know and do, you know, casting spells from there or something of like that, so that he can supersede his own movement, right? And move with the, you know, there's no rules really for riding another player like a mount and using their movement on their turn. But like, is it cool? Yeah. Sure. Is it going to be exploited? And that's kind of where you have to feel like, out your feel table, out your I think. table, and see if you can trust your players with that sort like, of thing. In my game, I'm literally messing with magic, mm-hmm. like the way magic systems work. So at times, if you guys tend to bend things, if it fits, I might just accept it. Mm-hmm. And as we're getting closer and closer to this kind of weird weave, things are going to change. Yeah. And part of that is just me being prepared for that and letting you guys have these these shifts. But there is a certain sense that we've been playing long enough that I feel comfortable that you guys won't push it into, well, I did, you know, push the glasses up. Well, I did this last game, so I'm going to be able to do this this game then. Yeah, exactly. No, or, or no. you know, Rob was able to do it this way, so I should be able to do it this way too, you know. No. It's... And you need to understand that, like, DMs have the ability to just rule of cool something, and mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that it is now a rule that can be exploited at will in the mm-hmm. game. It was mm-hmm. a moment. It was a fun moment, but that moment is past. Exactly. You know, exactly. Um, and, and the, the, the other thing I like about rule of cool is that even if your players fail at their endeavor, they're probably still going to come away with a fun story. Agreed. Agreed. You know, um, in one of our own games, uh, mm-hmm. we had a character who, uh, oftentimes the, the very first action they did was throw up a, uh, force bubble around them. Mm hmm. And I thought a little bit about what a force bubble would be like, mm-hmm. whether it would be like a constant shield right. or whether it would be something reactive. Right. You know, if something tried to cross the threshold, it would swat it away. Okay. And I decided for the latter. I decided it wasn't a constant shield, like a big, you know, plastic right. bubble around them. Right. Um, we had another character who decided they wanted to jump out of a tree and skid off of this person's force bubble onto the ground. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that, and I was like, that's just not going to work. And I was like, rolling acrobatics. They failed their acrobatics. And I was like, you hit their force bubble expecting it to be like a smooth thing that you can surface, slide down. Yeah. A smooth surface you can just slide off of. Instead, you it swats you with equal force to that which you hit it mm-hmm. and sends you flying ten feet, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ass over tea kettle right. over, over into the bushes, you know? Yeah. Um. But again, that's a, that's a story we still talk about to this day. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. mean, it was a completely botched rule of cool, but it was memorable. Yep. You know? Nope. Nope. I get that. I get that. The last thing that we've kind of got on here, which I kind of agree with, is it is very hard to shift your brain from the us versus them mm-hmm. mind frame as a storyteller. We have it ingrained in us that we are telling a story. We are the bad guys. We are the force to be reckoned with. And Mm -hmm. with that comes the responsibility 
of being a challenge. We are the danger. We are the one who knocks. Right. So it is okay. We have we basically have to give ourselves I guess the uh, permission to lose. Yeah. Because it's not losing. Like no. if your players are having fun, everyone's winning. Correct. You know? Correct. And that's and that's the mindset to get away from. We we spend all this time designing these elaborate um, uh, scenarios mm-hmm. and challenges and traps and right. villains and stuff like that. And man, sometimes your villains get thwarted in game one, and sometimes your traps get solved in two minutes, and sometimes your challenges aren't. So here's the way I'm going to shift it because I I read this and I remembered our conversation, and I think this is the key. Mm-hmm. If you want to play D&D as a board game and not role-play, keep up with the you versus them. Mm-hmm. 100% it's a board game, and you are literally there to challenge them. You are the challenge yeah. to be defeated, and you can feel excited with them, and role-playing is completely optional. On the other hand, if you'd like to role-play with your players, you are a chef making a meal. Sometimes they're going to eat it fast because it's super tasty and they're not even going to remember what it tasted like. Mm-hmm. And sometimes later they'll be like, could you make steak and potatoes again? Yeah. Because I really liked your steak and potatoes. You're serving a meal. Mm-hmm. There, there's no adversarial relationship there. You get to enjoy some of it with them. Yeah. You know? And never, but, mm, yum, and yeah. oh my gosh, this exactly. is so good. Is, exactly. You is want them to have food Tourette's. Yeah. You want them to put that meal in their mouth and start swearing and not come back for, oh, God, I need to have another bite of this kind of a thing. Like, ask for where's dessert. Yeah. Is there another course? Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. That's the shift of mind frame is get, serve that meal. Yeah. Yeah. Be a gracious host and serve a good meal. Mm -hmm. That, that's, that's what I think the difference is. So. All right. We got. We got one question today, but I think it's a very, very good one and a very important question. I didn't even read it, and this is, looks long, but I'm, I'm going to let you read it out, and I'm going to try and list as best I can. So, Knox in the Box, our resident cheerleader, yes, uh, asks, how do you make playing your character's weakness fun? Oh, Lord. For example, I always think poor Travis Willingham from Critical Role, who is not a dummy at all playing his wonderfully simple-minded Goliath character, Grog. (laughs) Tactically, you know Travis might have something brilliant simmering in his brain, but he just can't seem to use it because it's probably too brainy for Grog to think of. Are there other ways to snag a win from that weakness, or do you just accept that you might have to sit there kind of helpless and stuck while inside you're possibly frustrated and shouting the solution to yourself? How can you make that inner conflict more enjoyable to roleplay? So if you've seen The Emperor's New Groove, you know who Kronk is. Mm-hmm. Kronk is a typical henchman. Um, he's a fun character. He's kind of an idiot. He's a big, brawny idiot. Yes. But he's really nice. And he's quite thoughtful. And he's dopey at things. He was one of the main inspiration for Ferdinand Bonesunder. Boom. Yeah. But there's a scene where he's being told to sneak out of town with a bag. A bag with the Emperor in it. And he does so while literally humming and uh, effectively singing his own theme music. (laughs) And pauses against a wall as two people pass and stare at him, a mouth agape, 
while literally behind him, the entire mural are fingers pointing down at him, like, in every direction to <laughs> where he's standing. Mm-hmm. That right there is a successful stealth check. Yeah. Because they ignored him. Mm-hmm. He's an idiot. He even trips, drops the bag, and it ends up in the right place at the end. Uh-huh. But he's just like, he has no idea where it ended or where it ended up. He's just like, well, I hope that doesn't bite me in the butt later. Mm-hmm. You know? At times he talks to his imaginary shoulder angel and demons. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to still be able to go through the mechanics and roles of doing something. You don't just have to, just because you're a big oaf doesn't mean you just sit there and wait for something to stomp into the ground. Mm-hmm. You listen to the other players, you follow orders maybe really well, and you try and do them to the best ability that you can. And sometimes cartoons are a really good adv- you know, avenue for that. You know, um, but successes can still happen. You can still, you don't have to be a tactical genius to come up with an idea, right? Yeah, that's true. As as a thing, but your idea may be ridiculous and still successful. Mm-hmm. Like, it's weird to say it, but th- there are a ton of movies out there where some non-tactical person comes up with the idea and they're all like, I don't think this is going to work at all. And then at the end, they're all like, ha, that worked. How about that? <laughs> you guys are just overthinking it. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's where I'm saying is is that when you, especially for characters who are, are, are weak of mind, they have a weakness in that sense, there are still things they can completely do. I'm going to take a completely different tack on this one. Go for it. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact phrasing of it. Something you'd see on a t-shirt in a novelty shop. <laughs> Okay. It's like no good story ever started with a salad. Yeah, be- beer. Because beer. no because no good story ever started with a salad. salad. That's right. Yes. Um and that is that uh your role playing your character's weakness should be fun because it makes things happen. It yeah. makes interesting things happen. If you always succeed, and, like, everybody likes to feel like the hero and stuff of like that, mm-hmm. so don't get me wrong. Like, we just talked a lot about cheering for your players and letting them be the hero and stuff of like that. But also cheer for your players when they have foibles, when they when they have failings yeah, and stuff of like that. laugh with them. And, like, if you look at some of your, some of your favorite media, um, a lot of the plot complications and a lot of the plot movement happens because people are flawed. Mm-hmm. And bad things happen. Um, for instance, uh, I'm a big fan of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. Um, and there's there's also a role playing game uh, by Evil Hat Games uh, set in the Fate uh, the Fate system uh, okay. for that as well. And they they describe a lot of this uh, using the the, uh, uh, the 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 events in the books and stuff of like that. Mm-hmm. And um, not to get like any sort of major spoiler, but there is a major world-changing thing that literally still has repercussions in books, what is it, 17 that just came out recently, that he does in book three. Okay. And the reason that thing happens in book three is because he decides he's pissed and he's just going to throw a fireball at somebody. (laughs) That can't possibly go wrong. It's 
far more complicated than that, and, you know, it would be a 20-minute explanation to, to, to tell you exactly why and who this person was and what he was pissed about. Right. But if you want to bear, boil it down to its bare essentials, that person kidnapped someone and he was politically behind an eight ball where he should do no violence here. And he decided he didn't like them playing him like a fiddle. He didn't like them kidnapping his friend. He didn't like them, period. And he's just going to whip a fireball at them because that was going to solve everything. They deserve that fireball, and we're done here. Yeah. And the political fallout from that is still happening in book 17. Yeah. And we're talking, like, the the name of the book is called Battlefront. Yeah. So... It got... Got a little, uh, under, a little understand that it got a little yeah it yeah. gets bad and it stays bad yeah um so i say lean into your character lean into your weaknesses if your character's dumb as a brick be dumb as a brick yeah it's not about having the right solution it's about having the solution your character would have right because that's the interesting thing to happen and i agree with that uh, and and i'm not i wasn't saying that you didn't do that but i was just saying that don't let it hinder your role playing oh sure sure, or, or sure, even sure. your playing of mm-hmm. the game lean into the weakness yeah. ha- have it be that like maybe you think cartoon slapstick stuff works and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't sure sure you know um now here the the other the other thing too here is uh that um there are certain game systems too that incentivizes role playing your weaknesses uh, like your your main game is Seven C. Yep. That's uh, uh, you'll you'll have a hubris. Yep. Written on your sheet. Yes. You can gain drama die for for leaning into your hubris and yes. hindering your character because they're greedy or they're wrathful or yep. they're something. Yep. Um, we're gonna be rolling into Savage Worlds. Uh, yeah. And Savage Worlds has a whole system of hindrances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and bennies. And if yeah. you role play your hindrances, that's a great source of bennies. Yeah, and and uh, Mouse Guard did the same thing. Uh, yep, Mouse Guard does Mouse, the same it's thing. Very where good if you about that. Hinder someone, you get checks, and you and can even yourself in for yeah for experience at the end. Um, and likewise, Fate also does this. Where a great to a great source of Fate tokens is, uh, uh is role playing um negatively. You know, putting yourself in, into bad situations. Yeah, I I think that does it. I think about it does well. it. Yeah. So. so Go ahead. Uh, oh, I was going to say next week's topic is going to be our assist, uh, another system spotlight. Yep. Second way, second Wednesday of the month. So yes. we're do, we're going to be doing through the breach, the Malifaux RPG. Yes, a world of steampunk Victorian adventures set in an alternate world filled with magic and monsters. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that had that was a miniature based game to start with. It was a miniature skirmish game. Yes, and they, they the 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 world building was so amazing that they just blew it up into a yeah. uh, into a tabletop role. If you get a chance, look up the artistry for it. It's it's really 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 the world inspiring. Great, and it's played with cards. Yeah, so which a, is really great. It'll so. be fun to come into it. Yep. So, uh, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave on Instagram at st underscore conclave. I'll listen to us live every Wednesday night at seven p.m. Eastern time on MixL r.com slash storyteller dash conclave and uh join the discussion join us up on discord you can find that link to our discord on uh twitter as well as our website storytellerconclave.com shoot us some questions we'd love to answer them on the air yes and we'd like to thank our patreon members especially our named members knocks in the box sam the arcane asylum sparkle motion veteran and hulavu we really appreciate all of you and how much help you give us week after week uh with this show with your uh patreon uh support our pre-show music is by arcane anthems you can find that on uh patreon 
patreon.com slash arcane anthems our intro music which is beyond the uh, warriors by geefrog you can find at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on google music and our outro music which you're hearing right now is only our footprints in the sand by mid-air machine you can find that at freemusicarchive.org and big shout out as always to our families vicky and sean thank you so much for loving and supporting us all of our friends who sat at our tables over the years to go see these great stories to share with you and you every mm-hmm. single one of our listeners we love you so much love you good night good night